and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. Today I'm talking with Dion Irving about her new short story collection, The Islands, which was just published on November 1st. She is also the author of the novel Quint, which was published in 2021. Dion is originally from Toronto. She now lives and works in Indiana, where she teaches at Notre Dame. On Saturday, November 19th, Dion will be on a panel at the Miami Book Fair with other writers who have ties to Jamaica. The Out of Many, One People panel will celebrate the 60th anniversary of the country's independence. On Sunday, November 20th, she will be on another panel with the former Read More guest, Mong Jin. Dion, welcome to Read More and congratulations on the collection. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. The characters in the collection are just so well drawn and interesting. I really enjoyed getting to know them on the page. Uh, the 10 stories in the islands are about various women who are either Jamaican immigrants or the children of Jamaican immigrants. The stories take place all over the world and the time frame ranges from the 1950s to the modern day. All of the women are searching for something and trying to figure out what it means to be women and how to function in the world when they are far from everything that's familiar. Uh, one of the things that struck me about the women in this collection is that, uh, I guess I would say a lot of them um, are dissatisfied with their partners. Um, there are not a lot of happy couples in this collection. What is it about unhappy couples that intrigues you as a writer? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I should say I love my husband and he's wonderful, but um, I think that being married is really hard. I think that, um, you know, we live in this world, um, especially I think women of our, our generation is that, you know, we were raised to think like, you can have it all, you can have the family, you can have the career. Um, and, you know, it'll work out and you'll be happy because you'll be completely satisfied. But the truth of the matter is we still take on many of the same burdens um, that, you know, push second wave feminists into, into you know, um, pushing back against this idea of what it was to be a woman. Um, and I think that I see that in, you know, so many women I know that there is this feeling of constantly um, being tired, being overworked because we are doing everything all the time. Um, and I think as much as we would like to feel like we live in this wonderful moment where we can be sort of fully supported um, in pursuing our career ambitions, I, I still think that that is very hard. And I see so many women struggling with that um, in my life. So I almost think sometimes too that like the dissatisfaction um, that the characters in my collection have really has to do with kind of the fact that, you know, I think it's hard as a woman to um, always carve out the kind of life that you want theoretically um, in a way that's also going to allow you to feel fulfilled spiritually and emotionally, you know? And I think all those things can be compounded by the kind of isolation and liminality to me that um, go part and parcel with the experience of immigration. And so that that intensifies these, these feelings that I think women sometimes feel of feeling lonely even within a marriage. 
Another thing that I noticed in this collection is that a lot of the women are struggling with motherhood and what it means to be a mother or even with the notion that they could be mothers. And this goes against what society tells us, which, you know, it tells us that all women want to be mothers and women naturally take to this role. Why did you want to flip that idea on its head? Well, I, when I had my own child, um, I really realized that one, we had this real serious cultural narrative about being a mother. And I also think with black women, it becomes loaded and freighted with so much, right? Um, when you think about the ways in which we have had to mother historically, um, but also the ways in which like contemporary black motherhood is often impugned, right? Culturally and, and by society. And so we get these very conflicting messages, either like you're supposed to be a good mother and you're supposed to understand um, mothering inherently as a black woman, or there's this model for you to be um, this really sort of negative depiction of black motherhood. And both are really complicated, right? Neither one of them necessarily speaks to what that experience is. Um, a few years ago, after I had my son, um, I was doing some research on like breastfeeding um, and black mothers who breastfeed. So black mothers breastfeed at a much lower rate than, than white mothers. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I know breastfeeding, it's not for all women. Um, but as we know, there are, you know, health benefits associated with breastfeeding, right? Um, and so I was doing all this fascinating research on both trauma and breastfeeding. And I found um, that, uh, the CDC had these interviews with black women, um, about why they didn't breastfeed. And you see things with women saying things like, well, I didn't want my child to get too attached. And that was so startling to me. And at the same time, a study came out from Emory that was talking about um, trauma in DNA, right? That study has become pretty well known in the ways in which we carry trauma. And then I'm reading slave narratives about women breastfeeding and women saying things like they would rather kill their children because it was impossible to, to caretake them and, you know, do the work that was demanded of an enslaved woman. And so all these things are sort of percolating in my mind, right? And I'm like, of course, motherhood is complicated for Black women. Of course, it's going to not be a straight line because there is this idea of trauma that surrounds enslaved people and motherhood, right? And I don't know how we don't sort of acknowledge that um, as being this very complicated part of the African diasporic experience as connected to motherhood. Um, you know, it is one of those things that I think um, is so deeply, deeply connected to our experience as mothers. And when I, I read things like those CDC interviews, I was like, oh man, of course you can't get attached to your child because somebody might take your child in your DNA. That's what you're feeling. And I think that is there um, across sort of the experience of, you know, um, diasporic women of the African di diaspora who have this, I think, trauma living within us. Um, and I think we need to, to really have more, discuss more discussion around like what motherhood is like for black women and the ways in which that is um, complicated and complex and how we think about 
you know, looking at what motherhood is going to be like um, for contemporary Black women who have different kinds of challenges to face in, in that project of mothering. A lot of the relationships in this book feature mixed race couples or couples of the same race, but different cultural backgrounds. So we see your characters navigating these spaces where their partners are often clueless about certain aspects of their background or they're dismissive or even mocking in some cases. Are you using these relationships to make a larger point about being an outsider and just how difficult that is? I love that the panel for the Miami Book Fair is called Out of Many, One People, because to me, that's so emblematic of Jamaica. Um, it is this beautiful, um, in some ways, uh, you know, cross currents of different people who live on the island. And, you know, as I always tell people, it's a small island. <laughs> like You got to learn to go along or get along, right? And so I think it doesn't mean Jamaica is without its own issues of, you know, colorism or class struggle. But I think that there's something about you're, you're in a small space and you've got you got to figure it out, you know. Um, and so I think, too, um, like for people of my parents' generation who immigrated, who were in tight-knit communities of other immigrants, many of them were, you know, either coming, immigrating, already married, or, you know, marrying pretty quickly once they had immigrated to somebody within that community. I think it becomes really complicated, right, when you are first gen, right, and you, um, are living in London or America or Canada, right? And you've grown up in that cult, in, in that world, in that culture, but you are still fundamentally Jamaican, right? And there is this, I think, isolation that comes, right? Especially when the idea of blackness is often talked about in this really monolithic way. Um, and so it is unlikely that you're going to find somebody in those communities with this identical experience to you, right? So, you know, you're going to marry somebody within that within that world, right? But who that person is probably won't completely understand the ways in which that cultural experience is different from yours. Um, and I think that manifests itself really differently in different countries. Um, I know I was watching um, uh, that show Chewing Gum, Michaela Cole's Chewing Gum with my husband. And he was like, I don't understand why some of these characters keep doing Jamaican accents. And I don't think they're Jamaican. And I said, yeah, um, well, in you know, in Britain, like, you know, this idea of the Jamaican accent, there's this kind of like authenticity. It's like, you know, the way that we talk about it, like AAVE in the United States, right? And like that to me is kind of the British equivalent, right? You use the, you use um, Patois, right? And so this idea of, you know, what that, what that means or how to explain that, because I sort of understood that implicitly in terms of thinking about that show. Um, and he was like, oh, I, I hadn't thought about that, you know? Um, and so I think that there is kind of this thing where like you can't ever really fully explain your experience to another person. And I think that can happen in any marriage, right? But I think sometimes when there's this cross current of like, two degrees of, of kind of remove, right? There's not a shared necessarily cultural experience. Um, even if you are marrying somebody that is black, right? That like, there's this weird gap and, and distance, you know? Um, I have a really good friend who grew up in New York. Her parents are Jamaican also. 
And, you know, we have talked about, even though we grew up in different countries, like we have this shared cultural experience because we grew up within the same culture, even though we were in different countries and, and you know, different nationalities. And so I think there is some like shared experience in like that idea of like the Jamaican diaspora, right, in terms of culture. Um, but I think that in, in some ways, you know, as the experience of, of immigration is, it is lonely. It is um, often about a kind of loneliness. And I don't think that the magic of generations erases that, you know? Um, so I think like it is less for my son probably because there's a, a different kind of connection. His father is American. And so there's a different kind of connection um, to, you know, place than I think there was for me where both of my parents were immigrants, right? And then I myself became an immigrant. And so there's these these different removes of, of outsiderness. Um, but at the same time, my son very much identifies with Jamaica, you know? Um, he even has like a, it, it's kind of odd. Um, I think he's just spent a lot of time with his grandparents. Uh, we were in Ireland this summer and the cab driver said to us like, what kind of accent does your kid have? And I was like, um, I don't know. It's a Jamaican American hybrid. I don't know. I don't have it, but like he kind of picked it up in weird ways that I, I don't really understand. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting the way that works, you know? Um, but I, but I also think that that'll be something um, that's different for him than my experience. But I think also something that that will, you know, be part of his own understanding of his culture. You mentioned how things are different for the various generations, depending on how far removed they are, you know, from Jamaica. And your characters often seem to have their mothers or their grandmothers or some older women in their lives, in their heads about how they should do things, you know, how they should cook, how they should dress, how they should mother. Uh, how do you see this type of pressure to be a woman the right way affecting your characters? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, is very, very cultural. Um, and I think that, you know, some of that I think is is part of the larger African diasporic experience. But you know, I, I think too um, about, you know, being in college and I read, you know, Jamaica Kincaid's Girl and I was like, oh the, yes, I understand this completely, right? Um, because there's some things that are said <laughs> that I think if if American friends heard them, they would be like, oh, my God, that's what your mother says to you. You know, um, that's really mean. And I think that in part, it's like it is delivered with love, I think. But it's not, you know, um, there's a kind of, of caution there, right, that you've got to, you know, I'm telling you these things because you have to be careful, right? I'm telling you these things um, because I love you. Um, and I think that like some of that I think happens uh, in Jamaica also, but I also think again, that becomes heightened by immigration in a way, you know, that I think like this idea of being stranger in a strange land means you have to have this sort of extra degree of protection, right? Um, if we were at home, right, there would be things that we know and understand, right, about the world. Um, but here we are, we're in foreign, you have to, um, 
do these things to provide yourself an extra set of protection because we don't know who's out there in the community, right? And so we also don't know what the perception of self is going to be. And we don't know, you know, um, how the world is going to take you. I think one of the things that's really interesting, um, especially as I think about like the idea of time in my collection. Um, so my parents, you know, came of age during independence in Jamaica. They have a much different um, connection with England than, say, my grandparents' generation, right? My grandmother considered herself a British citizen, you know? Um, she was very, very um, engaged in that idea of being British. Um, you know, one of my earliest memories is my grandmother waking me up to watch, you know, Princess Di get married because to her that was really important, this, this idea of like this next generation of monarchy. Whereas my parents' generation who came of age during independence, like just reject that completely in some ways um, in terms of monarchy, but there are still these weird remnants of like this British class system, right? And this idea of like, what it means to be of a certain class. Now, of course, immigration erases all of that, right? It takes that away completely, but it's still hard for those things to hold on to those things, right? I remember my dad said to my, my um, husband when we got married, well, you know, you've married a lady. And so, you know, you need to make sure that, <laughs> that you do the things that are expected <laughs> when you marry a lady. And, you know, so there, there are these weird little remnants of this kind of class system. Um, but I think that that, again, gets gets amplified by immigration, where whatever privileges or, or class that you would understand from um, being in Jamaica gets erased with immigration, right? You're starting at zero. Um, and so in some ways, like those lessons about how to behave and how to be careful um, are sort of amplified, right? Because people don't know who you are or where you come from or who your people are. And so you have to make sure the world sees you a certain way. Well, what you said that um, your father told you or told your um, fiance when you're about to get married, we see those very words in one of the stories. Uh, a character's uh, father says that to the man she's about to marry. Uh, how much would you say that you were able to pull from your personal experience when you were writing these stories? Obviously, you're not writing about yourself, but in writing about your larger culture. I mean, it's so much. I mean, in some ways, that's why this collection is is so important to me. I love my first novel, um, but this this collection feels so much to me like a reflection um, of my culture and my community. And it was really important to me to write for that reason. Um, so the second story in the collection, Shop Girl, I always say that it's like loosely fiction because um, my parents owned um, one of the first Jamaican groceries in the greater Toronto area. And um, that was my weekend for years. Every weekend was working at the shop, um, getting up before dawn on Saturday morning and going all over the greater Toronto area to source produce, to go to the butcher, to, you know, um, learn how to butcher. I mean, I was handling a machete and, and doing butchering by the time I was seven or eight, you know, um, I had to learn how to do that. And so, you know, in some ways that was such a good education for me in terms of like storytelling, because 
every Saturday, um, there were people from all over the Caribbean diaspora um, in that shop talking and telling stories and chatting and getting newspapers and talking about politics and sports and you know and so I had this great like education and storytelling from all these different people who were coming in every Saturday and hearing all the different um sort of Caribbean accents you know my husband always makes fun of me because he's like well, how can you tell a Trinidadian from a Jamaican from a Guyanese accent? And I was like, because they sound totally different, you know. <laughs> um, whereas I think, like in the monolith of, of you know American culture, sometimes those are like just one Pan Caribbean accent. Um, and so that was such a good way for me um, to get these rhythms of storytelling. And I think in some ways, like that, so much of that ends up in this collection because, you know, I think that. There are often like two kind of ways of like looking at this idea of um, Caribbean literature. And I think this is really changing, which is really exciting to me. But I think a lot of that has been like either stories that are set in the Caribbean or like the story about the immigrant um, who's coming to, to the new place, right? And I think like those ideas, the stories of like the children of immigrants and what sort of the like more long ranging effects of immigration have been. I think those stories haven't always been told. And I think that like, that is such an important story to tell. And I'm really excited that like, you know, Jonathan Scoffrey's book came out and Prince Shakur's memoir. I'm so excited that there are these stories, um, you know, how to make love to a Jamaican by Alexia Arthurs. I mean, these are like so interesting to me in terms of thinking about like, what those effects of, of immigration are and what that story is in sort of the long gaze, right? Um, in a world where, you know, it's not the same as it was a hundred years ago, right? Where where maybe your your family member went to Jamaica and they never went back. And, you know, you only heard from them through letters and, and, and there was no coming back, right? Um, instead, now there's this interesting thing that happens, right? Where this, this, this ping pong, right? Where you'll have families that will like, you know, which, which I did too growing up, you know, so you get sent to, uh, to Jamaica for the summer, right? Or, um, you know, you have relatives that are in and out from Jamaica, right? Or, you know, um, th there's, it, as the world too has become more global and more interconnected, you know, um, I think in some ways that idea of those stories is, is more important and more prescient as we think about um, what immigration looks like in kind of a more contemporary sense, um, especially when we think about things like class. As a writer, is there one of these stories or one of the women even that is just a bit closer to your heart than the others that you're a bit more protective of or that maybe you feel closer to? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Shop Girl, the second story in the collection is really um, is the story of my childhood so much. Uh, it's actually hard for me to read in public because I feel like um, it's me <laughs> at eight or nine, you know, um, and I think that that I even talk to you about it, I get a little emotional because um, I think of those Saturdays where I wanted to be, you know, watching cartoons or at Girl Scouts or, or doing the things, you know, that my, my other friends were doing growing up, going to sleepovers. Like I couldn't go to sleepovers always because I had to like be at work the next day, you know? And I think that I could never um, have imagined the life that I have now. I could not have imagined um, 
getting to write stories, getting to be a professor. Um, you know, I remember getting yelled at for like, you know, sneaking off and, and reading <laughs> when I was supposed to be working. Right. Um, and so the fact that I get to like tell stories and um, read now is like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure every wish and dream she had is, is completely unlocked. So Oh, that is amazing. That was, I thought, wow, one of my favorite stories in the collection. And uh, that one and some people, I think those were two of my, <laughs> my favorites. I just enjoyed your character of Carrie so much and could uh, empathize with what she was going through, especially with that dinner party. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> uh, now let's just take a few moments and, and switch gears and talk about what you like to read. Uh, do you have any books you find yourself going to again and again and just, uh, you know, sort of feasting on that they uh, just provide something for you that you find you need? Um, I call these go-to books. Do you have any of those? I mean, for me, one of the, the books I think that, um, uh, that I think about when I think about sort of my life as a reader. Um, I think one of the books that really changed that for me was uh, Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um, I had never, I think, read a story that was up until that point, I think I first read it when I was 18, um, read a story about a Black woman, you know, with some agency, right? I mean, and man, that was that was really, really powerful for me. Um, and I think within the year, a year and a half after that, I read White Teeth by Zadie Smith. Um, and I think about those two books a lot uh, because they were in some ways, these stories that I didn't always know um, existed, you know? Um, I remember in high school, some of the things, you know, you have to read and I've been a reader my whole life. Um, but man, oh man, I always tell my students this, like, I remember reading A White Heron by Sarah Orne Jewett. Um, and I was like, I, I don't know if I like literature. <laughs> it was just like, this story is painful to read, <laughs> you know, it just really didn't do nothing, do anything for me. And I know it's a fabulous work of literature and I understand that, but I just, it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't getting me in the way that I think, you know, we want you know, kids to get books. And I think that, you know, when I talk to students um, about, you know, what they read in high school, I mean, that's why some of them are like, oh, I love to read. But, you know, then I read some things that were literature in high school and I really didn't, they didn't hit me. And I think in some ways that really speaks to like this need for diverse books, right? Which we talk about a lot, but I, I don't know that my life would have gone on the same trajectory if I hadn't read Their Eyes Were Watching God. I mean, that book shook me, um, you know? And I think getting white teeth so soon after where it, it was this story, um, you know, about Caribbean people, um, I think those two things just were so, so, so important to me because it meant for me all of a sudden um, and very quickly that stories about black women mattered. And I don't think that was the message I had necessarily gotten about literature before, that stories about black women mattered and that those stories could be about immigrants and those stories could be about people who um, were middle-class or who were poor and that all of those stories mattered. Um, 
And so I think that, you know, I come back to those books again and again. Both of those women are amazingly beautiful writers. Um, those books mean so, so much to me. Um, but I also think that for me, it, it also really hammers home the point that like, man, we just need more, more books and more stories um, in high schools and colleges in all spaces um, that amplify different kinds of lives. Um, because I think sometimes the argument is, you know, good literature is good literature is good literature. And, you know, I agree, right? I love Nabokov, you know? Um, I love Tolstoy, right? Uh, those books mean a lot to me too. But when you think about the kinds of things that like speak to your soul, man, we have to get to those, those texts uh, for all different kinds of readers that will speak to their soul, right? Um, and I think that is, is powerful and important. And that doesn't mean you have to be connected to those people through race or class, you know? I read um, a couple years ago, An American Marriage by Tayari Jones, and I just was so blown away by that book. And I gave it to my mother-in-law who, you know, um, is a, a white woman in her seventies who lives in the middle of Kansas. And she was like, this book was beautiful and amazing and just rocked me. And, you know, so I think that, that those kinds of stories are so important and we need more of them and we need more books like that. Well, you t touched on this a little bit when you talked about that story that sort of didn't do it for you. I want to ask you about a book in that category. Do you have a book um, that maybe everyone else loves? Maybe you were assigned to read it and it's 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 kind of held up as being, um, you know, one of the great pieces of literature of our time, but it just didn't do anything for you. Yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate the aesthetic value of Moby Dick, but it is not my favorite <laughs> book. Um, I understand why people like it. Um, I find it less compelling <laughs> than maybe some people do. Um, you know, I think that, that uh, especially, um, with the idea of like journey, I feel like journey is so important to um, literature and that idea of travel. Um, but I just could never quite get into that in the way that some people <laughs> can. But I understand why it's a great work of literature. <laughs> well, what are you reading right now? Oh, so many things, always six things at once. Um, I am, uh, I'm reading um, CJ Hauser's uh, beautiful, um, The Crane Wife. Um, I'm also uh, reading um, some Lorna Goodison uh, poetry, which I really love. Um, I, I'm a big fan of her stories and I thought I would I would dive into some of her, her poetry as well. Um, what else am I reading right now? I know there's something else. Oh, I just finished a really uh, wonderful um, historical book. I, I tend to read fiction and nonfiction at the same time um, called Island on Fire. That's a, a great book about um, a slave rebellion in Jamaica that sort of precipitated the end of, of slavery on the island um, by Tom Zollner. It's, it was just an amazing book. I, I cannot say enough good things about that book. It was really fabulous. And are you already working on something new? 
I am. Um, <laughs> I am working on a novel <laughs> that deals with climate change and uh, slavery and magic. Um, I am doing some research right now um, on the ways in which uh, the slave trade actually um, was part of the precipitating factor for climate change, um, which is has been really fascinating in terms of thinking about the ways in which the global South, which was hurt deeply by the transatlantic slave trade, um, is also going to be the place in which climate change affects first and, and most rapidly. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm writing a novel that, that deals with some of those things, which nearly done with, so. Well, that is, sounds really interesting and I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much for coming on Read More and talking about your work. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much. And thank you for the wonderful questions. Excellent conversation. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com to find out how to win a free copy of The Islands. You can also find details there about Dion's appearances at the Miami Book Fair. Please follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more. <laughs>